St. John Vianney is one of my favorite saints. I, I grew up in a parish uh, placed under his patronage, Kyrie of Ars. Uh, in fact, he's the, also the patron saint of parish priests. But the patron saint of parish priests almost wasn't ordained. Uh, he struggled in seminary. To Actually, that's putting it mildly. He was the very bottom of the class of 200, of his class of 200, uh, mostly because he was really poor with Latin. And in those days, uh, Catholic seminary classes and exams were in Latin. But his professors were kind, so they told him he could take his, exam and his examinations in French, his native language. But after taking the exams in French, he was still the bottom of the class. You know, in another era, he, the patron saint of parish priest might not have been ordained. Um, really, I think the reason he was ordained here was because there was such a need for priests. Many priests had died, had become martyred during the French Revolution. And so he was ordained. But even in the priesthood, he struggled, especially from the pulpit. When he was a young priest, he would stay up late into the night writing and trying to memorize his homily. And then there were these occasions when he was delivering a homily and his mind just went blank. And eventually he just left the pulpit, humiliated, and resumed Mass. You know, he, he never turned into an eloquent preacher by the standards of the day, but he eventually became the preacher God wanted him to be, a simple and effective one, a preacher who called the spade a spade and who could bring back, to the, bring back the faith to a rural town that had abandoned it during the French Revolution. And people came to see that he was a holy man and a good confessor. People came from all around and waited days to have the opportunity of going to confession. You know, I would venture to say that the life of John Vianney, it can shed some light into the parable of the talents from our gospel today. So let's, let's take a look at that parable. In general, the parable of the talents is about uh, the last judgment when we will be asked to give an account of our life, what we have done, how we have lived before the Lord. The parable occurs right in the middle of Matthew uh, 25, uh, chapter 25, a chapter entirely comprised of parables about the last judgment. First, there's the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, which we had last week, and the parable of the talents, what we have this Sunday, and finally, the, the uh, separation of the sheep from the goats, which we will have next Sunday on the Solemnity of Christ the King. And so the parable of the five talents is first and foremost a warning about the last judgment. Uh, it's a warning that it is supremely foolish to live as if Christ will not one day come again. That it is supremely foolish to live as if there will never be a day on which we will be asked to account for our actions. It is supremely foolish to live as if our choices, decisions, and actions don't have eternal consequences. But the parable is not simply a warning about the inevitability of Judgment Day. Not only, are, not only is this parable a warning about Judgment Day, but a, a, a call that we are not to neglect the gifts of God, it also exhorts us to make the absolute most of whatever gifts and blessing God has bestowed upon us. You know, let's, let's dive in a little deeper to the parable. Uh, it begins with a, with a master going off to a foreign country, and he leaves his servants with his money for them to invest. He gives five talents to one. Uh, to the next servant, he gives two talents. 
and to the third and final servant, he gives one talent. We talked about this several weeks ago. A talent was a unit uh, for measuring weight. And when we a talent was talked about in terms of gold or silver, uh, was used to measure the weight of gold or silver, this was used for currency. So one talent of silver was worth 6,000 denarii. Um, one denarius was the usual daily wage of a day laborer. So one talent is a significant amount of money by itself. Well, the master returns, and the first two servants have doubled his initial investments. Um, you know, the one who had five gives him five more. The one with two gives him two more. And to each he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come share your master's joy. Why is this significant? Well, if this parable is about the last judgment, these two servants stand for the elect, for those blessed souls who were good and faithful servants of Christ here below and now share in the joy of God forever in heaven. And, you know, also it shows that that excuse me that God is just that his expectations aren't the same for everyone that he doesn't judge everyone um, the same necessarily here's what I mean by that he didn't demand that the person with two talents give him another five likewise he wouldn't have been satisfied if the person with five talents gave him an addition gave him only an additional two there is certainly more to say about these first two servants, but let's hold off for now and, and, and move on to the third servant. Unlike the first two servants who double their master's initial investment, the third servant buries it in the ground. As a result, the master doesn't call the third servant a good and faithful one, but a wicked and lazy servant. Rather than entering into his master's joy, which stands for heaven, he is cast outside where there is wailing and grinding of teeth, which, if we are honest, can only symbolize hell. I know it isn't pleasant to listen to a homily on hell, but I have to be honest, I wouldn't be doing my job. In fact, I would be do doing everyone a grave disservice if I glossed over this obvious point in the parable. Hell is real. It exists. Jesus speaks about hell all the time throughout the Gospels as a warning Right? Jesus is true God and true man. He cannot deceive nor be deceived. If he's going to warn us about something, that means it exists and it's possible for people to go there. Now, hell exists because we have free will and God respects that free will. And we can choose to reject his grace and friendship even unto, even unto rejecting it into eternity. The truth is, this parable warns about hell because we're in danger of going there, and we must repent today. We must tell God we're sorry for our sins. And as soon as we are able, go to confession. If it's been a while, come to confession. Receive absolution. Receive the mercy of God. And then we can seek to follow him with all our heart and soul. One other point about this third servant, this ties in with, with what we're talking about with hell. He buries the talent out of a servile fear. He views the master as a harsh tyrant. Well, let me be abundantly clear here. God is not a harsh tyrant. God is our loving father who wants us to share in his joy for eternity in heaven more than we do. He so profoundly loves us that he sends his only begotten son to the cross so that those who believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. So we do not need to be afraid. He will give us the grace and divine assistance necessary to make it to heaven. But first, we must repent 
We must turn away from sin. And you know what? We're fallen creatures. So repentance is a lifelong process. We need to daily ask for forgiveness from our sins. We need to frequent the sacrament of confession so that we are frequently receiving the mercy and forgiveness of God. Now, I mentioned at the beginning the main point of this parable was a warning about the last judgment and, by extension, hell. But there is a secondary message to this parable as well. And this is where I think John Vianney, uh, his life can help us. We must make the most of the gifts God has given us. You know, God did not make us. Um, he, he, he made us for himself. Uh, he made us for heaven. Uh, he didn't make us to avoid hell by the skin of our teeth. He made us for greatness, to be a great saint. He doesn't want a paltry return on his investment. He wants an insanely good 100% return. And you know the tragedy of that third servant? It's this. Uh, his servile feel, fear ultimately makes him believe that God's expectations, while high, um, makes him believe that they are unattainable, unrealistic, and crushing, when in reality they aren't. Because here's the deal. We aren't going to give God a 100% return on the gifts and blessings he's given us by our own efforts alone. By our own efforts, we can't even give him a 1% return. However, if we work in tandem with his grace, cooperating with him, then nothing is impossible. How do we do that? How do we cooperate with God's grace? We see it in the first two servants. In the parable, the master says to the first two servants who doubled their initial investment, since you are faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. If we want to produce the good fruit Christ has called us to, if we want to share in the eternal joy of heaven, then we need to be faithful in small, everyday matters. It's a message to us all that to produce the good fruit of Christ, that Christ has called us to means being faithful in small matters, means fidelity to daily prayers, fidelity to frequenting the sacraments, to the duties of our state in life, to doing our best to try and love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. And really, this is the secret of the saints, saints like the Curie of ours. You know, it's interesting that St. John Vianney, throughout his time in ours, was plagued by thoughts of his own inadequacy for the parish ministry. Um, he often had this temptation to flee and live a more contemplative life in the monastery. But he stayed for two reasons. One was his love for people, his zeal for souls. But the second one is he knew it was God's will. He knew God's providence had placed him in ours. And the only way to serve God was to obey his will. Thy will be done. God's will manifested in the duties of his state and life he would fulfill. So he labored in the Lord's vineyard. He preached and taught. He heard confessions for extremely long hours and, and, and was a zealous priest. And despite these doubts and, and him thinking it wasn't working out, him being faithful in these small matters enabled God to do great things through him. And today, well, John Vianney enjoys, uh, shares in, in his master's joy, shares in the joy of the Lord in heaven for all eternity. We need to do likewise. We need to repent of our sins, and then we need to seek to be faithful in small matters. Those two things, if we repent and seek to be faithful in small matters, in time God will do amazing things through us as well. And eventually, if we persevere, we too will hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, share your master's joy.